Welcome to episode 190 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim, or as Zatanna would say, Emu Clu Aunt Edo CP, Eno Yit Enin, Fomit Clot, Et Sock Dop, Tuba Et Is Eid Detanima, Esra Vinu, Aunt Det Eric, Yib E Curb Mit. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Normac, also known as Cameron. <laughs> I'll play into the bit for this once. I'm Cameron Dexter. <laughs> it had to be done. I don't think it did, but I appreciate the work you put in. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love to give people a bit right up at the top there. Also, I, I promise that's not why I pushed the call. I was doing laundry, not because I was practicing saying that backwards. I don't believe you. But I did have to practice a lot saying that backwards. I had to write it out phonetically. So I mean, I that was very, very smooth. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I'm I put way more work into that than I care to admit. Um, but yes, uh, we are back. We're talking more Justice League. And if you couldn't tell already, we're going to be talking about Zatanna this week, specifically the episode This Little Piggy. And then we're also going to be talking about some Fearful Symmetry, a pretty important episode in the DCAU. But, uh, you know, before we get to that, Cameron, how you doing? What's happening over there? I see you have your lovely Jungle Cruise hat on. Oh, I am. And we will be talking about that much later. <laughs> how are you doing, Chris? You know, I'm good. Just uh, just powering through. You know, mm-hmm. we make things happen. It's nice to be back doing this again. I'm doing my absolute best, actually, to get this out every single week. And I'm here to support you. <laughs> I, I make no promises that we'll be out every single week, but we're, we're really, really trying. Um, I, I promise. Uh, but it helps that we have really good episodes this season. So <clears throat> Yes, and this week. And this week in particular. This, yeah, this week was really fun to watch uh, for both of them. So uh, I don't, should we just should we just get into it? Let's just jump into it. All right. So we're starting off with this little piggy. Um, and when Sorceress Cersei turns Wonder Woman into a pig, Batman discreetly recruits leaguers, including Buona Beast and Red Tornado, to track down Wonder Pig while he and Zatanna try to reverse the spell. So obviously, this is a very fun, weird episode. Uh, but what it's most famous for is Batman singing. So my question right at the top, Cameron, is, is this episode good or is it just memorable because of the song? I, I love this episode for one very specific reason. All the Greek mythology. No. <laughs> I, this was my introduction. I'm sure it was your introduction as well, because this is a no-name character who does not deserve this much screen time. This mm-hmm. is our first introduction to Buona Beast. The most throwaway character ever created by DC. (laughs) Their horrible white savior, as I learned recently. Um, I love him so much. Okay. And he's such a nonsense character. Does your love for him come from this or from Batman Brave and the Bold? Oh, Brave and the Bold. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he meant nothing to me as a kid. It was like, why is this guy, why is this WWE wrestler wannabe in this batman episode he's he's super fun i mean i i've now since watched all of brave and the bold and i don't remember his stuff specifically but i remember him being part of the fun of those episodes oh he has like one of the most dramatic arcs in in brave and the bold i don't he, remember because the, there's that like string spoilers for brave and the bold everyone should go watch it uh there's that string of like four episodes in season two where every episode they kill somebody. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. 
or either kill someone or deal with the grief of someone dying in yes. the Doom Patrol episode. Yes, that's right. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, now this is this is starting to come back to me a little bit here. Okay, yeah, because okay, I think I vaguely recall what happens to him because I feel like this is the most screen time he gets in the DCAU, probably. Um, I. Th- I think we see him again because we actually see him use his powers. Where in this one, oh, he, do he doesn't. Okay, yeah. Because in this one, he's there because as Batman puts it, he's you know a, a top-notch animal tracker uh, slash he can talk to animals, which is kind of useful. But he um, doesn't do it when he's looking through the pigs. No, I mean, he does a little bit towards the end there. He's sitting down like trying to describe Wonder Woman. It's like, you know, yeah, pig, that, that's true. pink, wearing bracelets. Um, no, no, I'm looking up here. He This is only like real appearance everything else is a cameo oh dang. So I think okay we might see him use his powers but i think this is the only time he gets a speaking line possibly uh, so i i pitched a game to you it in the first episode of jlu mm-hmm. which is can we be better martian manhunters oh right yes 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 um, obviously this this doesn't account to that game because bruce does not want this to go up to league level problems mm-hmm. um but there is a member of the famous trio known for growing up on a farm <laughs> who probably knows how to track pigs and talk to pigs and catch pigs. Uh, who also has super sight and super hearing. Yes. And extra yes. vision. <laughs> and the fact that he didn't call Clark <laughs> for either of those abilities. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Do, do we just assume that he was off planet? I assume Bruce didn't like he he didn't want Clark to save the day. Okay, he Bruce wanted to be the wanted, hero. Bruce wanted to be the hero, and so he specifically recruits people that he knows he can beat very easily. <laughs> or that when he just swoops in and takes credit for the rescue, they're not going to argue with him because they're yes. like D tier leaguers, mm-hmm. and he's Batman. <laughs> exactly, the most intimidating man in the, the entire Crimson league. The Crimson Avenger is not going to say anything to Batman. <laughs> No. I mean, he doesn't say much in general, does he? Right. I think this is his only speaking line as well. It's just I like the would one... not be surprised. I had yeah. to Google him because I did not know who he was. Yeah, I don't even really know who he is either. What, what's his deal? Who's the Crimson I, Avenger? I didn't look into it. You I did. just had to find his name. <laughs> you just looked up who it was and left it there? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Um, but Okay, but so you... You must also appreciate this episode, though, for all of the Greek mythology. I'm going to warn you right now. I did no research on this, assuming you would have this covered. I I did basic research. Um, None of this connects to Greek mythology in any sense, minus, like, the names. Oh, okay. Is it pretty Uh, much all based around the Odyssey, then? um, Yes, and kind of DC's version of Greek mythology. Okay. Because some of the characters they bring in don't really make sense. Well, yeah, so, because they have Cersei, and then where it gets really Greek is when they're trying to find her, Batman says they need a snitch. So they go to the River Styx, right? Mm -hmm. And have a conversation with Medusa. Yes. Who says that she shared a cell in the Pit of Tartarus with Cersei after, I think, either one of them or both of them were put there by Hippolyta. Correct. Okay. And she makes reference to her sisters, the Sirens, who are on the island of 
Mykonos, right? Mykonos, yes. And they lured in Homer, um, not Homer, he wrote the Odyssey. Who's the hero of the Odyssey? Uh, Odysseus. Odysseus. <laughs> and all the other sailors. Did I get all that right? Yep. That you oh, okay. so far. Okay. So then, okay, who who was the guy who brought Medusa to them on the River Styx? That that is that that is um oh what is his name? That that's just the normal boatman. The bo- oh Mr. Boatman? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hades is boat his his assistant. <laughs> well, cuz he's the one he's the the blind um he's the blind boatman who you you pay gold in order to access the underworld right the the two coins that usually go over people's eyes right which is why bruce gives him two pennies yes. for his uh, for his troubles in his bat wallet his bat wallet yeah he, mm-hmm. he keeps everything in there of course okay okay so this isn't really greek this is more just the odyssey slash dc's weird thing um kind of yeah, okay. w- where it gets a little weird. So to roll back for a quick second, we get Zatanna, who I also mm-hmm. adore and love thoroughly oh, over and over. She's so good. Uh, it's weird seeing her in this version compared to the last time we saw her, where it's kind of a question mark of if she's really magic. And this time mm-hmm. we actually get to see her use magic. When it, they go to the underworld, or when they go to the River Styx, they meet with Themis. Um, I don't know how Batman has a connection to Themis, because she is a titan. She's a step above the gods. She is Zeus's aunt. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she the... is the titaness of judgment and, yes. and good deeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have, unless like there's some off screen party we don't see where like <laughs> Diana brings Bruce to like a Greek party a greek festival mm-hmm. and she's doing the like awkward me- like introducing him to everyone in the family because <laughs> that would be her great great aunt right no great so, so how is she connected to zeus zeus is her she's not connected to zeus because as we is... late as we later find out it's she is sort of Aries daughter maybe it's sort of Zeus's daughter I don't remember uh well if she's Hades sorry if she's Aries's daughter Aries is a brother I don't think it matters cousin <laughs> no the, your, your point being how the hell does Bruce know this god essentially yeah, uh, bigger than god how does he yeah. know this tightness yes literally well, a step above gods I, I think that that question is answered in the way that all things also answer with Batman is that he just does. He he, yeah. he does everything. You know, Satan even says at the very end, like, is there anything you can't do? No. He also knows Greek gods and Titans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll let it pass because <laughs> it's great seeing them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd seen this probably since it aired or maybe I've seen it like once or like once since then. Um, but it is... It is fun, and it's it's one of those weird episodes that's just so kind of odd compared to a lot of the rest of the DCAU. Like, it's definitely a tonal shift in the same way that, say, like, kid stuff was last week for us or, you know, um, Mixie's Pixelated was, you know, a couple years ago. But it, it still works in this universe, even though it's, like, really, really absurd and silly. And, um, you know, worth noting, it's written by Paul Dini, who always finds a way to, like, bring that humor into this and make it work tonally but again this should be considered one of the worst episodes and it's just so much damn fun 
Absolutely. I what I see this is is a hard course correct, not a course correct, but where kids stuff was an episode meant directly for kids. This is an episode meant for the parents watching with the kids. Right. Yeah. Because I remember being young and watching this episode and being so unsatisfied with the ending. Really? Yeah. Because it's not there's no punch, punch, big bang explosions, Power Ranger pose moment is how I expected when I was a child. I mean, there's that moment when Wonder Woman is about to get slaughtered at the slaughterhouse and turns back into Wonder Woman and busts through the wall and like strikes a pose. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's not that's just a moment. It's not a big action sequence. Yeah, but like with Cersei mainly is okay. she's just there and both Batman and Zatanna understand that they're horribly outmatched and so they just mm-hmm. decide to cut a deal instead of trying to fight her. Yeah. And the deal is you must give up something you care the most about, which is your dignity. Mm-hmm. I like that that's the very surprising direction it goes because the the language Cersei even used is meant to imply that Bruce is going to have to give up his identity, right? Um, his secret identity. And then when it's not that and it's just him having to go up there and, and sing, you're just like, it's just so out of left field, such a weird choice, but it works. Mm-hmm. Although I, I will say this in that moment, because obviously, you know, Kevin Conroy, you know, is a, a classically trained actor. He can sing. He has the pipes. In my mind, like I, I guess I know what Kevin Conroy looks like. Like I'm watching the episode, but I'm kind of like in my mind's eye seeing Kevin Conroy sing there more so than Batman. Like, I guess like I, I know enough about the show to like the, the layer broke through a little bit for me and I was a little bit outside the episode right there. Are you seeing him in the sound in your, in your mental image? Is he in the sound booth singing or do you see him on that stage singing to the audience on that stage? Obviously okay. he deserves a limelight. He does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also love that uh, the reason they chose that song and then um, was it Lulu's Back in Town, which Cersei sings earlier, is because they're both owned by Warner Brothers. That makes sense. <laughs> Doesn't it make perfect sense? Yes. <laughs> so this was the predecessor to Space Jam. Yes. It's, uh, well, no. It followed Space Jam. I mean, Legacy. Oh, New Space Legacy. Jam Legacy? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Which or I actually ended up one, whichever I, Warner Brothers dump you want to talk about. Right. I actually did end up watching Space Jam Legacy. How how upset were you? I wasn't upset at all. It was just bad. Okay, but I will say that that you were right. That sequence they go to recruit the rest of the Looney Tunes was super fun. It's really fun. And my friend and I were watching it on HBO Max, and we were just laughing our asses off at yeah, that it, one sequence, like for ten minutes. It was really funny. Yeah, I the one I keep forgetting to mention is the Mad Max one. Oh, the Mad Max, yeah, that's so good. good. Yeah, it made me realize that if that whole instead of making a movie, if they had just done a series of promo videos to advertise HBO Max, they would have like gone viral, been super popular, and thought like you know really really creative. But instead, they made a whole movie out of it, and it sucked. Yeah, I, I've I've preached this many a time before, but the concept of uh, CN City from the late 2000s, where Cartoon Network started oh, working right. on this this amazing kind of interstitial world where all of the cartoons lived in the same city, and you got to see them do the mundane parts of being like a person. So yeah. you saw Samurai Jack at the laundromat with Ed from Ed, Ed Nettie. <laughs> Uh, and Miss Bellum from Powerpuff Girls and just like doing their laundry together. 
yeah and just doing like very mundane stuff like that and it was such a fun concept if they could have done that for warner brothers for hbo max that could have been incredible could have been like i want to see a bowling league where it's fred and shaggy fred fred flintstone sorry and shaggy from scooby-doo and robin from teen titans and uh is is robin a famous bowler no we'll do we'll do cyborg i feel like cyborg would be okay a bowler. <laughs> i was like where did that come from I'm, I'm just trying to pick random people okay uh like that could have been so fun and then you have someone kind of coming in and ruining it you know you know i mean, that, mean that, it, warner it, brothers it, yes <laughs> warner brothers i mean because that that's basically what wacky racers was yeah yeah it's pretty true and that worked sure i've never actually seen wacky racers so. oh it's delightful okay do you remember that one episode of teen titans where they're all racing um to get um oh god what was the prize where it's it's robin racing and then uh red x comes in and he's racing i mean only vaguely i i i don't know if i ever actually saw all of teen titans so okay it was it was a filler episode from season five okay i probably didn't see it if i did i, I don't remember because i never went back to like, rewatch titans okay well when we start titan talk it'll be something to look forward to. <laughs> when we inevitably do titan talk we'll get into it i mean i don't know like what what about this episode for you made it so great made it so fun zatanna for me mm-hmm. i i don't know how you did this but for me i've, I've seen this episode a couple times this is the first time i watched it with subtitles because i'm an I aging did man too. and having the fun of pausing when she says her spells did you also do that <laughs> i every single time i paused it to like read them backwards yep yes yeah it was so much fun because the spells when they're said backwards are so elegant but when you read them they're so boring yeah it's, it's just like table hit cersei is the yeah. spell she's saying or, or when she uh, takes the coin back from the, the mystical shop owner after the locator spell doesn't work. She just says refund and it pops yeah. back into her hand. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's, that's so funny. I mean, but you did raise a good point at the kind of top of the episode that the only other full episode we've had with Zatanna being a prominent member was the episode Zatanna from BTOS. And you're right. Like in that one, it's it's implied that she might have some genuine magical abilities, but mostly it emphasizes that she's like a stage magician. So she understands like the sleight of hand and the tricks around it. And they kind of acknowledge that in the beginning of this, where um, I think Batman makes a comment. like, I wasn't sure you know, what if it was magic until the very end, that it's pretty much all stage ma- magic until the very, you know, her final joke, instead of playing a rabbit out of the hat, she literally grabs someone from the audience and pulls them out of the hat, which would be um, terrifying, horrifying. If I, you were that I guy, scarred, and she picked some poor old man who could have had a heart attack. So, okay, so the guy he picked, I I don't think, I think I'm just misremembering it. He looked like one of the criminals from BTOS. And I thought it was a bit of like she was catching like some bad guy. Oh, uh, who just okay. To also be at her show. But then it wasn't, it was just a random audience member. I think, I think maybe he had been modeled off of someone else. I don't remember, but he did look kind of familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah he was like generic mobster from BTOS. Yeah, just kind of generic mob-looking dude. And, then, and of course, she keeps referring to her rabbit as bugs, which I thought was pretty fantastic. Yes. Keeping it in the so. Warner Brothers space. Yeah, as <laughs> always, whenever you can. But yeah, I mean, she is she's super fun, and it, it's fun to see the dynamic she has with Batman because, one, she knows 
it's Bruce. So she talks to him much more casually than other people would. But just because their history goes so far back, and she knew him when he was like way before he was Batman, she does just like have a very casual rapport with him and doesn't have the sort of deference that like a lot of the other heroes do who are really intimidated by him. She doesn't care. She's like, yeah, you're just like some guy I knew years ago and now you dress as a bat. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a very like powerful women episode where it's two it's basically yeah. the only two people that'll call Batman out on his shit. Or better yet, they'll yeah. call Bruce out on his shit. Exactly, yeah, because even the, the very beginning there, they're doing a stakeout, Batman and Wonder Woman, outside the Iceberg Lounge, and she's, like, really heavily flirting with him, and he gives all these reasons why they, they couldn't be together, which is, like, what, uh, number one, dating within the team never works out. I'm pretty sure that's just meant to be an allusion to Green Lantern, Shaira. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, it's like, oh, you're, like, a, you know, an immortal goddess. What does he say? And I'm a... I'm a uh, you're a princess. I'm a rich kid with issues. A lot. That's of a rich kid with issues. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, and then he makes the comment about how like, oh, yeah. And if anyone knew I was close to someone, they'd go after that person. And she just crushes a gargoyle in her hands being like, and that's your point. Yeah. But I mean, it is they do have this super fun. Will they? Won't they? And and Batman even admits um, after one of them is turned into a pig. And Satana's like, you know, you're taking this really seriously. Like, this is, there's something, is there more to you guys? He's like, well, maybe there was. Like, he even acknowledges, like, oh, yeah, there's something happening there. But he just will keep letting it be unsaid. Now, the other question I have for you is, at the very end, the, the final button there is that Wonder Woman's been turned back. They're at the, the tower. And she's basically thanking him or whatever. And she walks away humming the tune to Am I Blue. How does she know about that? Okay, so I was thinking about that a lot. And especially with kind of Batman giving up his dignity as being the ultimate price he has to pay to to have Cersei reverse the spell. It wouldn't mm-hmm. mean anything for Batman to perform in front of random Greek tourists because Mykonos is a big okay. tourist island. Yeah. So what I think she did was had some kind of mental broadcast over the entire world. So everyone got to hear Batman sing his song. Oh, okay. Would it be everyone, or did she just find a way to like send that image to Wonder Woman so she saw it happen? I I think it should be everyone Batman is connected to. So be it everyone on the tower, but also all of the <laughs> villains of Gotham get to hear the song. Alfred, all of his uh, his Robins, whichever ones are still alive, Commissioner mm-hmm. Gordon. Well, because I want I want Joker and Harley to hear it, and I want them to be very like judgmental of like, oh, he's a little pitchy there. <laughs> it's like eh, it could have been a little bit better. Or would the Joker just be mad that someone else found a way to make him sing other than him? I, I definitely think that he'd be very and very. Harley jealous, would find he? it very romantic. <laughs> Mister Freeze would be enjoying it as well. Mm-hmm. It, it would just thaw his cold cold heart just a tiny tiny little bit it would there, there should be a shot of him like dancing with his frozen wife <laughs> his frozen wife who i think is alive now at this point i don't remember oh oh yeah because he's not dead but dead kind of he's because saved... he comes back in in beyond doesn't he yeah, he saved her in Sub-Zero, and then at some point down the line, like, he lost his body, and then at some point beyond that, they captured him and put him in that locker. Right. For 40-some-odd years, something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's funny, like, 
this is like a, a, a really cute, fun episode. I don't have that much to say about it, really, though. Yeah, I I, th- I feel like this is becoming a trend of the past few. And I brought it up last week, and I really think it is starting to, to impact us. Of We're so used to these t- deep two-parters mm-hmm. that every episode plays significance. Like, I, I don't think we remember how to do the one-off episodes anymore. Yeah, we yeah, I guess you're right. We didn't have a lot of like we either had a lot of story to cover or a lot of character work to cover because there was more time for arcs. Um, you know, but yeah, you're right. We haven't done like just kind of one-off whatever episodes since Static Shock. Yeah. Really? And I I think part of it too is these episodes when they're one-offs, they're so enjoyable that I find myself just kind of turning my brain off and going along and watching them and having fun while watching them. And I'm not thinking with a super critical lens or I'm not annoyed being like, well, why would they do that? They should have done this. Like, I just like them. Yeah. And this episode in particular, there's so much that happens. They cram so much in these 23 minutes. They really do. It's it's the stakeout to Zatanna's magic show, to Cersei's singing, to the underworld scene, to Buona Beast hunting down wonder woman to the slaughterhouse scene part one and part two to the magic fight with cersei to batman singing to wonder woman breaking out and fighting the slaughterhouse boys and freeing the pigs to them ending on the on the watchtower oh my god that's so much in 22 minutes oh and we didn't even talk about uh the the magic shop oh yeah there's not much to talk about but it, it was a very fun moment yeah, they go to that magic shop, and then, like, you get the other leaguers trying to hunt down Wonder Woman. So, like, Red Tornado is just, like, flying through the city, just robotically saying, sui. Which is beautiful. Is that a thing? I love that. Is, is it, that, like, a it thing? It is. Uh, there's something, I don't remember what it is, but there's something about that, like, noise. Or maybe it's just, like, every every farmer has kind of their own unique noise for pigs, and that's just kind of the, okay. the stereotyped one that got set. Yeah, I was just wondering why is everyone saying "sui"? I don't get it. I think it, I think it's a, a specific pitch where it just like carries farther. Okay, and the pigs love it. Oh, uh, well, I just think they can just hear it from further because you know when you have a lot of land, you have to be loud to to like uh, call everything back in. Sure, I don't know. I'm not a farmer. There was a really weird tangential. There was a really unique like short mini doc that i watched a while ago about a whistle language Sorry, and it was a bunch a whistle of, language yes uh it was on the side of some mountain it was a bunch of like very scattered people and and basically to communicate with their neighbors because they'd be a couple miles away not a couple okay. miles but like you know, kind of half mile away neighbors yeah. they developed this whistle language they could communicate with each other and the whistles were so loud and such a like high pitch you could hear it from half a mile away. Oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Were they like actually saying words or was it more just like they were sending signals? Uh, kind of a mix of both. It was, okay. it was kind of Morse Cody, very simple. Okay. Like, oh, do you need eggs? <laughs> I've got eggs. I got eggs. Milk's gone bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyone got any? Oh, that's clever. Yeah. And so I assume it's kind of a similar concept with, with pig calls. But again, they should have just called Clark. They should have. For ample reasons. Or even better, Bruce should have called Pa Kent. 
And be like, don't tell Clark. Yeah, that would have been cute. That That would have been very cute if we got Batman like having fun with parents that aren't his parents. Right. Does he even know how to have fun with parents? Oh no. No, absolutely not. But Pa can't Pa and Ma Kent would try. That's true. Bless their hearts, they try so hard. Yeah. They give him a hug and he'd just like shatter in their arms. Oh. Oh, poor Bruce. Poor rich kid with many, many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on this? Um, I have, if you want to go over it, Buana Beast origin story. Oh, please. I do want to hear this. It is. It's not as weird as the other two that we've, we've brought up over the past two weeks. Okay. Uh, but also still just as random and nonsensical because he was a creation of the early 60s. Okay. Uh, so Michael Maxwell, also known mm-hmm. as Mike, mm-hmm. um, was heir to, uh, I don't remember what the business was, but some family fortune. And his okay. dad was going to pay him millions to join the family business after he graduated college. But instead, he decided to become a wildlife ranger in the fictional country of Zambezi, along with his okay. college roommate, uh, Rupert. Oh, his name autocorrected. I don't remember what his last name is. We'll Murdoch. say Kinyo. Not okay. Rupert Murdoch. Thank God. Okay. Um, but his roommate in, in a wonderful surprise twist was the heir to the throne of Zambini. Okay. Uh, so while traveling to the country, the two of them are on a helicopter that is struck by a bolt of lightning uh, and it crashes into Mount Kilimanjaro, which mm-hmm. is the one that you hiked, right? Yes. Cool. Yeah. It's got to throw that in for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't have to do it this time. Yeah. Uh, and so while trying to heal from the helicopter crash, the two take refuge in a cave, cave, uh, and Rupert starts feeding Mike some rainwater that has trickled down through the ceiling of the cave that has been imbued with magical properties of the mountain. Okay. While drinking this water, Mike starts to gain superhuman strength, which is needed because they find out the cave is actually kind of home to this giant red ape. My God. And so the ape starts attacking Rupert. Mike comes in and kind of subdues the ape and to show his like passivity and uh, like protectiveness of animals. He doesn't do anything to hurt the ape. Um, The ape opens up a secret passage in the cave and gives him his helmet, which (laughs) gives him the ability to talk with animals and then also somehow combine the powers of animals. Is it explained how? Absolutely not. Wait, wait, wait. So this ape, Yes. Had a helmet. Yes. That gave the ape the ability to talk to other animals. No, no, no. No, no, no. He could only give it to a human worthy of it. Oh, my God. Yes. So instead of what? giving it to the next king of the land. Yes. <clears throat> uh, this rich white man takes the helmet and becomes <laughs> protector of the uh, of the uh, wildlife reserves. Uh, but But... Weird. Uh, I, I find this interesting. It's not super interesting because in in Brave and the Bold, they make a big point that he can only fuse two animals together, and if he uses three, kind of like drains his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the comic, he can fuse up to four animals together, and oh. he makes some ugly animals. I bet he does. Uh, and so now he gets to play white savior in Africa, saving the wildlife reserves from poachers. But that was boring, and so in. They kind of evolved that, and now there's, like, mad scientists trying to take over the animal reserves. And so they bring in these giant robots where Mike has to combine a fly with a rhinoceros to take it out. Flynoceros? Yes. And yes. thus, Buana Beast was born. Oh, and Buana, me, is, like, a um, nobility title 
okay. in some uh, Central African country. Wait, so I'm trying to remember in the Brave and the Bold, he literally takes two animals and then they actually do combine together. So you like they do look like a common like they've physically combined together, right? Yes, that's fucking weird. It's I I love because it's so unique. I've never seen that unique, anywhere yeah. else, and I I yeah. really appreciate the like weirdness of it all. Yeah. God, that's bizarre. Yes. Comics, man. Just comics. Uh, and he was literally just like a nobody character for years, basically like twenty years. He was a nobody mm-hmm. character, and then in the eighties, nineties, he started teaming up with Animal Man, doing okay. more adventures with him. Which makes sense because when I first started getting into comics, I didn't realize Buona Beast and Animal Man weren't the same person. <laughs> That's honestly totally fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap there. A lot of overlap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got a great look. You know me. I always appreciate a uh, shirtless costume. So yes. Bring on more of them. Well, because it's... Um, did you ever play... Uh, which one had Panther? It wasn't Street Fighter. It wasn't Mortal Kombat. No, was it Soul Calibur it. that had Panther? I don't know. I only played Tekken. Mortal Kombat. Tekken has, Tekken has Panther. <laughs> okay, I only played uh, Mortal Kombat. Okay. Tekken was the human with the, the Panther head who would just, like, he was the chi- he was the Zangief. Oh, no, that would make sense to you, because that's Street Fighter. He yep, was uh, the... Oh, who was, who was the, like super cheap overpowered character in mortal Kombat. Uh, i mean i don't know was there one because you just like spam one move and you would win every time uh, i mean there was the the leg swipe with Liu kang okay because they made reference to it in the movie but i don't that's remember right. i don't remember enough about mortal Kombat to be honest it's been okay that's fair. many many years since i played it i i did not play that one as much and i also slept through the movie <laughs> That's true, you did. It, it was surprisingly good. Good. I'll, I'll rewatch it eventually. Yeah, surprisingly good. But yeah, that's, that's kind of all I have for this episode. All right, well then, shall we move on to some fearful symmetry? Let's do it. Yes. All right, so in this one, Supergirl keeps having vivid dreams where she attacks people, and they feel so real that they seem more like memories. So Green Arrow and the Question help her investigate a trail that leads her to Star Labs, the disgraced former General Hardcastle, and eventually to Galatea, a clone of Supergirl that's acting as an enforcer for a shadowy government conspiracy. Would you call it a shell? Uh, or a shell? <laughs> yes. Is she, uh, is she a shell or is she a shill? Um, well, she's a shell of Supergirl and a shill of the government. So There we go. I can't get a load of <laughs> Um, I'm going to be honest. I spent a lot of time trying to narrow down this plot to a succinct synopsis because if, if a lot happened to that last episode, but none of it was relevant, a lot happens in this episode and all of it is supposed to be relevant. And it's kind of confusing. And I feel like whenever the question is involved, that's how the episode is going to go. I know it's going to get real interesting season two of Justice League Unlimited for us here. Okay. So let's, there's actually a lot to talk about here. Shall we start with the conspiracy itself? Because this is going to be like a big thing that plays out in the rest of the, the series. Let's do it. Okay. So he- here's what I tried to like narrow down the, the events to. So the U.S. government has been experimenting with metas for years because Hardcastle makes reference to Volcana, who would have been like Superman the animated series era, and then also the Royal Flush Gang, which would have been... Um, 
approximately Justice League era, because that's when the Joker breaks them out and uses them in, in Wildcard. Yeah, but so was, big... we'll say like three years ago. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so then the, the big thing that happens, though, is in the episode Legacy. So the series finale of Superman, which you if you cast our minds back, so that's when Darkseid brainwashed Superman into attacking Earth. So when that happens... After that happens, basically, they realize that all the deterrence that they thought they had in place to effectively take down Superman wasn't enough. So, one, they basically tell Hardcastle that he's done. They force him into retirement. And then two is they decide to create their own Kryptonian-level meta. So how they get that is in that episode, um, I just remember that Supergirl got like beat up and kind of hospitalized. But when I went go back to like reread the synopsis, a lot of shit happens to her. All right? So here we go. So she goes toe-to-toe with the brainwashed Superman who, like, beats her nearly to death. And at the point when then Lois stops him and he remembers who he is, they fire a Kryptonian missile at both Superman and Supergirl. So now she's been beaten up, exposed to Kryptonite. They capture both of them. They keep her in, like, an intensive care unit but also under red sunlight, which means that she's not fully recovering from her injuries. While they're trying to escape, she's shot... And it's at that point that Supergirl takes her to Dr. Hamilton at Star Labs to have him help her recovery. And I forgot this part, but I guess he initially says no because it basically would be an act of treason at that point because they're on the run from the government. And Superman basically threatens Hamilton until he does it. And then Superman realizes that, like he's lost the trust of his ally. I forgot that little moment, which is really, really big, because then it's going to affect the trajectory of Hamilton's character going forward. So then they steal her DNA while she's in surgery, and they have like a little kryptonite like blade they can you know get inside of her with, and then they clone her into Galatea and then age her up. So basically, it was Hamilton all along. Is that what the musical is about? I it is. I watched yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> yes. um, okay. So all this has happened. This is all like the background that's like slowly eked out over the course of the episode to explain kind of how Galatea came to be. And then the plot that's relevant to here is, so I, I, I she sent, I think to cover the paper trail of her existence. So the dream sequence that, Supergirl has the beginning is actually her inside Galatea's mind. They have some sort of like um, psychic link and she kills a doctor from this company, Nuvogen, who are the ones who actually did the cloning. And so I think that when she kills him, she's just trying to like cover the trail of this, this conspiracy group. Um, but because the link is two ways, not only is Supergirl seeing Galatea, but Galatea is seeing Supergirl's point of view, and I guess it's kind of acting as a sort of conscience for her. So she wants to stop the link. So, And this is where it gets weird then. So then she starts dating a reporter yes. so she can leak the story about the doctor she killed being missing to his network. Um, and then that was all done to lead Supergirl to the trap of coming to NuvoGen so she can kill Supergirl inside their holodeck, essentially. Yes. Does that sound right? That that it sounds like you nailed it. Okay. It's it's the part where she was dating the reporter that gets a little bit weird for me. It's like, did that just happen of its own? Did she do that just to leak the story? Did she kill the guy then so there would be a story to leak? 
it, it starts to get a little bit twisty and turny, and to your point, as it should, because the question's involved. Right. So I, I think that she dated to get the story out. That makes more sense, because otherwise, why would she date that guy? Right. Yeah. Kind of an asshole. He's kind of an asshole, and, uh, I mean, no pun intended, but she's way out of his league. Yes. Yeah. On a planetary level. <laughs> yes, on every level possible, she's out of his league. Yeah. I, I also think we need to very briefly have this conversation of Bruce Timm's uh, art style when it comes to drawing Galatea. Hypersexualization? And- Yes, the Power Girl, yes. light Power Girl reference, and the because as as we found out, or as I found out, kind of midway through doing this podcast with you, Bruce Tim kind of got to start with pinup art, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's done these kind of loose pinup drawings of all the characters over the years, and I feel like this version of Supergirl is kind of the culmination of Warner finally being like, fine, just fucking do your thing. You've been pushing us for years, and I guess she's over eighteen, so just like go for it. <laughs> Go ahead, give her the boob window and the yes, leotard. The only reason they aged her up was so they could give her the boob window. I even remember when I watched this episode, so it would have been like 14 or whatever, The when they're investigating Green Arrow, like they see the footage of Galatea, and he makes a comment like, oh, she's a little more mature than you, and like what's on screen is a close-up of her boob window. Even as a kid, I remember being like, this is all kind of weird. Yes. This is it's a lot. Just, <laughs> it just feels a little bit distasteful. Yeah. Warner Brothers, it's 930 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sitting here eating my Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. Oh, no, I was 14. I was probably eating oatmeal. I, I got slightly more sophisticated at that point. Okay. Maybe. I was probably still eating Fruity Pebbles, if I'm honest. Well, I just had a bowl of Cheerios, so I <laughs> have not changed. Well, I mean, but Cheerios is like an adult cereal. I guess so. Yeah, but also at a certain point, who gives a shit anymore? Yeah. We buy our own groceries, damn it. But it is in my reptar bowl. <laughs> Your reptar bowl. <laughs> oh, never change, Cameron. Never Let change. Let the witness know that I, I showed him my my reptar bowl, the bowl through the camera. It was there. <laughs> it was within prop reach. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, this is all going to lead to eventually Cadmus in season two. Yeah, this two. is a, a big prologue for what's yeah, about exactly. to come. Yeah, th- this is kind of one of the most important episodes in this first season. Like, this is one of those that's uh, unmissable because of everything that sets up, not just because it's super fun. But, I mean, it's also a good episode at the end of the day, too. Because um, it's also our introduction to The Question. Yes. Who is going to become, like, a fan favorite character. Or her, like, I mean, this was really my first introduction to him. I hadn't really read any comics that he was in. Um, but the way they portray him in this, he's just so weird, but he's also very charismatic and charming in his own kind of way. And he just draws you in so much. Yeah. I mean, he's better Rorschach. Yeah. And and so actually Rorschach is based on him. Right. Yeah. Cause he was part of, um, the Charlton comics, that eventually got absorbed into the DC universe. Like he, he was introduced in a Blue Beetle comic, and then they had all those characters drawn. Oh, in. that's but, cool. Yeah, but Watchmen is all based on those Charlton comics characters specifically, 
And obviously Got there's it. elements of, you know, the the DC characters in there too, to some degree. Um, but he's, yeah, the Rorschach's probably based on him. But you're right, he, he's just better. He's less gross Rorschach. Yeah, but I feel like in this episode, in this version of the question we see, uh, how we talked about in the first episode, Green, Lan- or Green Arrow is kind of the uh, like a flipped Batman perspective. Sure, yeah. I feel like the question is an extreme Batman. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like if Batman didn't have Alfred or any of the Robins or Wonder Woman or Zatanna, like this is the Batman we would get. Is over conspiracy, doesn't trust anybody. Yeah. You, you kind of feel like Batman would follow breadcrumbs and then ultimately decide that there might be people working together and that could be seen as like kind of a conspiracy of sorts. But if like the question basically has decided there's this conspiracy and then he finds evidence to support the theory rather than building a theory to support the evidence, which is more Batman style. Uh, I, I feel like it's almost like we're jumping in. It's like it's a new investigation to us. But when we see the questions room, like it almost looks like he's been looking for Cadmus for years already. Exactly. Yeah. Cause he, he, he as he puts it it's one singular conspiracy basically um and a lot of his theories are confirmed when they go and talk with hardcastle who basically says like yeah like the government and big business working together for years which what i couldn't imagine that kind of shocking i don't understand but i i do love some of the things that um is included on the questions the conspiracy boards i made a little list here so we get a global warming Military upheavals in the third world, actors elected to public office, which has a, a tragic new form of prescience today. But at the time, it was definitely in reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming governor of California because that happened. Oh, like a I didn't year. even that. That's hilarious. Yeah. It was a year before this episode. And that's why when you actually look at the board, there is a newspaper headline that says like our new governor. And it's, it's kind of a, a loose caricature of um Arnold, and then you know, there's a, a picture of what's I think supposed to be JFK in the limousine in Dallas the day he shot. Um, and he also makes reference to boy bands, and I couldn't find anything confirming this, but I think the the members of that boy band are the, like the original creative team on BTOS. That's hilarious. That's I, incredible. I, I, it's just it's just a hunch when I looked at it because one of the guys like it definitely looks older, has glasses, has like a beard, does not look like he'd be in a boy band. I'm like I'm pretty sure that that's who it's supposed to be. But I don't know. Um, I'm assuming, uh, you know, the Watchtower Database boys can probably confirm that for us. Or deny it, maybe. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm if the I conspiracy can, theorist. If I can throw my conspiracy pitch in. Of course. In, in connection to the greater Warner Brothers universe that has now, sub, you know, uh, absorbed the DCAU. Mm-hmm. I think that is a reference to the Pussycat, uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Okay. And there, because they just had, the, uh, at the time of this episode, the live action movie would be three or four years old now. Mm-hmm. But kind of the idea that pop bands only exist to brainwash the the public. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is, that is, I feel like there's a reference to that band in Josie and the Pussycats. Wait, is that the plot of Josie and the Pussycats? Yeah, pretty much. Really? The, the movie, not the series. I've never seen the movie. So. Oh, it's great. Highly recommend going back and checking it out on I, HBO I Max. I have heard now that one holds up. by Tim Talk. <laughs> Tim Talk, now part of the Warner Serververse. Yes. My Come watch us play basketball poorly <laughs> and maybe have a rap battle that doesn't go and well. And talk about how great LeBron James is, in case no one knew that already. Oh, he's the king. 
He's the king. Yeah, yeah I know. King James. I know. I get it. I get it. Yeah. My God. Um, but one of the things I, I just, I, I love the question. I think he's super fun. He, he brings this really unique energy and dynamic into these episodes. We're like, to your point, he's kind of like the extreme version of Batman. Like, in the way that people are deferential to Batman because they respect him, I think people just don't know how to respond to the questions sometimes when he starts saying shit. Like Green Arrow, especially, who, you know, you could be, he, you could see him as the kind of guy who would, you know, kind of immediately agree, buy into the idea of like big business and government being tied in together. He even makes a comment in initiation, like to Captain Adam, oh, I'm pretty sure you're what I protested against in college, right? You can see him having that sort of mindset. Um, but even he is just like, I don't know what to say to you, like, you're a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, they have a great dynamic, which only gets played up even more in season two when it's, it's kind of Green Arrow and Black Canary almost against Huntress in question. Oh, Double Date. It's a great episode. Mm-hmm. Cannot wait for that one. But, you know, the thing is, like, Question is kind of a, a weird guy. You know, it's like when they're unraveling this conspiracy, Green Arrow and Supergirl want to go to Nouveau Gen to go investigate that. And he's like, no, no, we should follow the source of the leak. So he goes to talk to the reporter. Um, and there's that, like, did you also think, so in that sequence, um, the reporter's at a bar and he goes to leave and some guy comes up and basically just fills in some exposition of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you know, how'd you get that story sort of thing? Like planting in our, our minds in the audience that it's kind of weird. I, I guess he's designed like that that look of like a reporter in a straw hat um, is supposed to look like um, Carl Kolchak, who I, I don't really know. Oh, the Night Stalker. Oh, OK. Oh, that's he's it's Darren McGavin. OK, that makes sense. All right. I say he looked like Darren McGavin. Yeah, Darren McGavin played this character called the Night Stalker, who I guess was like, um, he's a wire service reporter who investigates mysterious crimes with unlikely causes, um, sometimes supernatural and science fiction. So I guess he's kind of like a precursor to the um, the X-Files, which was also referenced to in this episode, um, like the poster Got in the it. background um, of the questions room is meant to look like the, uh, the X-Files there. Um, but mm-hmm. did you also think that that was going to be the question in disguise? Yes. Yeah, I thought that too, because I was then thrown when he walks, he goes and gets into the cab, and then the cab driver is the question out of his costume, and he, he just pulls into an alley, and he just tells the guy, oh yeah, I got to write up my report, like that's a reason why a cab driver would pull into an alley randomly? So that has happened to me. What? And I was very scared, not like pulled into an alley, but like, yeah, I was, uh, I was getting in a cab coming back from LAX. Because sometimes it's easier to get a cab than get an Uber. It is, yeah. Um, and yeah, like we got off the highway and he just like pulled off to the side for like five minutes just to like write down all of his uh, rides for the day and then continued driving. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on because we were we were only like three or four miles away from my place at that point. Yeah. Uh, and I did not know how to react. <laughs> I didn't know that was a real thing. Yeah. Uh, and so Uber, I had it in an Uber driver once too, because I guess Uber loves to, I mean, we, as we can all expect, Uber loves to like skim as many pennies as they can off of their drivers. Yeah. Uh, and so one woman I had like has a book of every person she drives the minute she picked them up, the minute she drops them off and how much the app said that she was going to get paid for it. And the next one, she has uh. a spot where like how much, uber actually paid her for it 
So she can challenge them? Yes. Oh I guess there was like a, like a full day of work she did that Uber just didn't pay her for because it didn't Fucking go through their system. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in a boring dystopia. Yeah. Yes, we boring do. Dystopia. Um, the question would be perfectly happy here, actually. Um, but yeah, I like think that the question is lose his mind in this reality. That's true. Like, I can't, I can't buy into this. It's just too much. It's just too much. Um, but I did love that moment when he then goes to meet up with Green Arrow and Supergirl at Nouveau Gen, and he has like the whole moment of him like very carefully inspecting like the data pad to get entry, and he's he's basically singing like. It's supposed to be, um, um, I oops, I did it again. But it's like whatever that universe is like version of that song is. He's like carefully looking at it, and he just goes and grabs a ficus and throws it through the window. <laughs> it is incredible. That moment is so beautiful. <laughs> it it just like I think that moment perfectly encapsulates the appeal of watching the question work. Is that he's just he's so weird. He totally operates in his own way. Well, and it also throws the viewer off because like like us we've been watching batman do this for at the time 10 years yeah and he's always so elegant and finds a way to break through and so we're expecting him to you know make his own card out of like putty he has in his pocket or something and then for him to come through and just throw the planter through is incredible we're expecting the high-tech version yeah (laughs) he just goes as low-tech as possible and I also love the moment right after, because while all that's going on, um, Supergirl and uh, Galatea are fighting in like a hologram metropolis. Yeah. And Green, uh, Green Arrow is knocked out because it's how DC works. Mm-hmm. And the question opens the door and just kind of pops his head out like a nosy neighbor. <laughs> I was like, what's going on in here? <laughs> Ooh, what did I find? I mean, okay, I do I do want to talk about that, that, that holodeck for a minute, right? So... The idea is that it's, it's like I said, it's based on the holodeck from Star Trek. It's hard light constructs, right? Okay, so we've seen stuff like this before. That is the most advanced holodeck I have ever seen because buildings can actually be destroyed within it and, like, the rubble is hurting people. So it's not like it's just creating, like, walls and barriers that are approximating buildings. Like... If it is creating literally down to like literal bricks and dust that are getting broken apart as they crash through the buildings. Yes. Like, I I feel like that technology is more advanced than cloning a Kryptonian. I yes, I would I would agree with that. <laughs> I think the writers just used hologram as the MacGuffin word. I think so. And it's like, yeah, yeah we can do whatever we want now. What is it? It's, it's fine. uh light but hard it's a hard light construct yeah yeah you got a problem with that uh i don't know it's just kind of silly um but okay so should we talk about galatea a little bit let's talk about galatea for a minute so because she is basically this universe's version of power girl so i did look up the origins of power girl which i always knew were just kind of like weird and confusing they can be at times but the most consistent version is that she is superman's cousin in Earth 2. Got it. Right. So she's Kara Zor-El, just the letter L, not E-L. And so she's just generally portrayed as like an older, more mature, more level-headed version of Supergirl, but has a more aggressive fighting style. And I feel like they kind of incorporated all of that here as well. And I guess basically in the comics, you know, she's like from Earth 2 
and then she like somehow gets trapped in our earth and just kind of stays. And she says she's power girl to kind of distinguish herself from Superman. But otherwise, like this is pretty much a spot on version of power girl. Like the, the personality is kind of the same. It has her, I hate to say this, but iconic boob window. Yes. Here. And I don't know. I mean, this to me, like this is a, a little bit more grounded way to handle her origin. Obviously we, we've done multiverses a little bit in this universe, but not a lot. I think this is kind of a, a, a cleaner way of handling her origin. Um, I mean, what do you think about how they do this version of Power Girl? No, I, I absolutely love this version. I, I think because we, we, you know, a few weeks ago, we did have the conversation of Christ of Two Earths. Mm-hmm. I think if they tried to fold that back in, it would have been very muddy. Uh, and it, it, it wouldn't really work well because then the question is like well where's earth Two superman why isn't he dealing with this right yeah um and i, I just love the conflict that comes between galatea and supergirl it's, it's very personal it, it you're is. immediately connected yeah. to a character that like i mean she she's basically almost league i mean she's part of the unlimited league but like she's basically a main character in this version we've yeah. now seen her as much as we've seen any other leaguer in jlu Mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting arc for the character too and like this is her um first appearance but we're, we're gonna see a little bit more of her as we get through the rest of um the dcau um but yeah i mean it's it's a pretty overall like especially in contrast to, to this little piggy like this is a a dark episode mm-hmm. you know i mean it's like supergirl starts out by thinking that she you know is losing consciousness to go around and murdering people like you know we talked about this a little bit, but this still being a kid's show, not a lot of characters actually die for a long time. Like no one died. I'm pretty sure that Dan Turpin, at least in the shows, if we're excluding, you know, mask the phantasm was the first character that like died on screen at any point. And no one dies on screen here. It kind of all happens off screen, but like, you know, the idea of like throwing in this government conspiracy and cloning and that, that, um, kind of like a robotic nurse, whatever that they operate on Supergirl. They're having nightmares about like, it's a pretty terrifying looking device too. It, it, it was when I was a kid. Oh, really? The 3d model (laughs) and being poorly constructed and moving in this 2d space. The, the 3d models they use in this show are very apparent when they use them. They're trying and I appreciate them trying it. They're laying the groundwork for what we have now. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that little robot doesn't look particularly good. The, uh, the helicopters that swoop in at one point don't look particularly good. Speaking of we're miss, we're, we're skipping a big plot hole in this episode. Which of we hole? see not, sorry, not plot hole, a big plot point for future mm. episodes that are technically past episodes. Right. Cause we see early Zeta bots. Yes. The, fighting the, them. The, the Z8 robots. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of a fun little nod throw it in there because it, like, it's it's original model Zeta, not Zeta Project Zeta when they gave him a more human looking head. Right. See that weird they thought head. we would forget <laughs> as much as we wish we could forget. We can't forget Zeta Project. You know, but yeah, this this episode has a lot of like little nods in there. So we get like the, the Zeta nod. Um, 
uh, when Supergirl is talking with Green Arrow and basically trying to get him to help her because they developed a friendship in initiation, he makes a comment about having dreams about Black Canary. And I guess she's sitting at a table with um, like Our Man and Dr. Midnight, who are obviously other characters in the JSA, which are connected to you know, Black Canary. So that's kind of a, a fun little nod there. Um, even the title itself is a throwback to uh, the Batman animated series episode Tiger Tiger, I discovered. It comes from the same poem. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, the William Blake poem Tiger Tiger. Uh, it's a line from that. It's the very end of his uh, could frame thy fearful symmetry. So they just you know brought a little nod in there. Cameron, there was even a nod to Disney animation. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, my God. I didn't. To be fair, it's pretty obscure, and I only know this because I looked up trivia on this episode. But okay. so when uh, Green Arrow goes to um, Nuvogen, and he's pretending to be a security guard, um, and he basically tells the guy working the desk that the other guy like got a free trip to Aruba, right? So um, Arrow introduces himself as Ollie, his real name, short for Oliver Queen, Queen and then the uh, the guard asks, where's Frank, the guy who he's impersonating? And so I guess that's a reference <gasps> Frank to Frank and Thomas. Ollie. Yes, to Frank and Ollie, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. Two of the nine old men. Exactly, yeah. So again, I would not have caught that. It's a, it's a pretty obscure reference at the end of the day. That's adorable. Frank and Ollie, there's a great documentary on Disney Plus called Frank and Ollie that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, Highly okay. recommend watching it. Um, I think I've plugged the the the, te- the spiritual sequel, uh, which is Waking Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of Waking Sleeping Beauty is is the boom of Disney animation from kind of 1989 through 1990. Uh, it's kind of the story of when Eisner takes over, so 1985 through 1994. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But Frank and Ollie is basically everything before that. So they both started working on Bambi. Mm-hmm. So they'd been Disney animators since the 40s. Oh, damn. And they left kind of mid-80s, right before the Eisner era took over. Oh, shit. And so it, it's kind of their perspective <clears throat> of Disney animation through kind of the highs and lows. No, oh, that doesn't interest And deeper lows. And deeper, yeah. Yeah, especially towards the end there, some, some, some pretty big lows. Mm-hmm. So looking at you black cauldron yes uh, which i've still never seen it's underwhelming yeah i don't know I don't think a lot to. of people love it uh, you know it, it is a lot of people's cup of tea i mean it was disney's yeah. attempt to try and like make their own lord of the Rings series okay yeah i know well bu- bully for them yeah <laughs> i could skip it um but yeah i mean you know th- this episode ends with uh basically the, the this the shadowy conspiracy like basically blowing up Nuvogen and seemingly destroying Galatea or at least they're not sure what happened to her because there was no body recovered um and then Supergirl's on the phone with with Hamilton asking him you know did they get my DNA from you he's like no 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 we always destroy genetic samples and then he hangs up and walks in and then we see um Galatea in like a recovery bed v- looking very similar to how Supergirl looked when he and she ended up at Star Labs and this all whole thing started but like this is when we see like, oh, like Hamilton truly has turned and, you know, and that's going to be a, a big plot point once we get into the Cadmus arc of uh, season two. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, overall, like, you know, a great episode, kind of like this little picky for like almost exact opposite reasons. Yeah. It, it's setting up so much and, and kind of just as you were going over this episode, this is an episode meant for 
the dedicated fan. Yeah. Like if you have watched all of the DCAU up until this point, you will understand so much of this episode. Whereas if like me, I kind of jumped in in JLU. I didn't Mm -hmm. watch much before that. I didn't understand anything that was happening this episode when I was a kid. And even when we were describing what happened in legacy, I have no memory of legacy at this point. I'm like, I (laughs) I mean, it was like two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I had to go back up and I had to go like re 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 what happened in that episode. Cause I kind of forgot to, I just remember the Superman brainwashing thing. Um, but yeah, I mean like this, this episode, I don't know. I feel like almost kind of more so than anything else, even in justice league is really that, that bridging episode between the series that came before and where it's going to go in this, in the second season, which originally was intended to be their final season. Um, You know, like uh, epilogue was meant to truly be the end cap of the whole thing. And then then they brought it back for one more. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is like one of the most important episodes in the entire canon at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it also helps you that it's really good. It's not one of those where, like, oh, yeah, you have to watch it because it sets stuff up. Like, it's actually really good. Like, you were pointing out that the emotional drama between Supergirl and Galatea is really compelling. Yeah, it's... I'm very excited to see everything else that's coming after this. I know. It, I, I feel I'm like we, like... we've had five, four or five episodes of filler that we've had so yeah. much fun with. They're <clears> great. But now it's a reminder of, like, oh, right, now we're actually getting into the story again. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of the rest of the season is going to be kind of those more one-off filler episodes, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to get into um, season two. Cause that's, that's really the only time that in the DCAU they're doing truly like week to week serialized storytelling. You know I mean? This, that's the sort of show, like that's the season that's definitely like the precursor to like what young justice does a few years later. Yes. And especially this episode, this episode is such a mirror of the, of the opening of Young Justice. Oh, yeah, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, a lot of the same things happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Superboy Galatea. Yeah. But, but no German aliens this time. Yes. No, hold on. They're not, I, they're not the the Kaminoans. I had it. Nope, not the, not the Kaminoans. They're not the Kaminoans. They're the... You, you got it's this? Not, it's not Corinthians. That's the Bible. <laughs> not Creole seasoning. <laughs> it's not Creole. Eh? It, 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 it's gone. Nope. You'll, you'll get there eventually. You're going to look remember? it up again. No, I don't remember. I God said it deliberately it. so I could watch you struggle to remember it. Oh, God. <laughs> Crolateans. Well, it's the Crolateans. The Crolateans. Well done, Cameron. You got there in the end. Ten points to Gryffindor. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Ten points to Hufflepuff because you're Thank Hufflepuff. You. Yes, of course. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on uh, on this guy here? Uh, I think we covered it all. All right. Well, then let's uh, move on to some plugs here. Uh, Cameron, you already kind of tipped the hat earlier, literally, as you're wearing the hat. But what is your plug for this week? Uh, I have two. Okay. Uh, a new one and an old one. Mm-hmm. Just like always. Uh, Just I like did watch time. Jungle Cruise over the weekend. I had a great mm-hmm. fan experience. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming I, you went to the El Cap. I did go to the El Cap. Uh, How was it? It was, it was beautiful. Okay. It nice. was wonderful. They, they had a mini event for fans where we got these free Jungle Cruise skipper hats and we mm-hmm. got uh, some Dole Whip and a free kind of concession. The head of D23 came out and kind of welcomed us all back into the Disney world because it was the first big fan event they'd done since the mm-hmm. start of COVID. Yeah. Um, the other Bob came up 
to very oh. muted applause. Bob Chapek was there. Bob Chapek. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was very funny because uh, you know, the organ play the organ player came back. Yeah. At the El Capitan, they have an organ player to kind of uh, intro the movie before it starts uh, mm-hmm. and kind of kind of fill that quiet space before the movie starts. And he'd been gone for the past couple of months because of COVID. And they finally brought him back, and there was like near standing ovation when he came up from the from under the stage. And then Bob Chapek comes out, and it's very scattered applause. <laughs> I'm like, how must it feel knowing that the organ player gets a bunch bigger applause than the CEO of Disney? Yeah, but at the same time, he's gonna like go cry himself asleep on his private jet as he's flying to barbados i don't think he cares Yeah, and figuring out how to cut more corners exactly figure out how to like wring more money out of people who want to go to disneyland yeah so uh but unconnected to that the movie's wonderful (laughs) okay uh it's very similar vibes to the first parts of the caribbean okay uh if, if i were to make the scale uh i wouldn't say it's as good as the first pirates but it's definitely better than haunted mansion since those are our two benchmarks. Okay, that, that's fair. To be fair, there's a lot of room to play in that scale. <laughs> there's a lot of room to play. But that's a good to know at least it's better than The Haunted Mansion, which I, I actually rewatched not too long ago. I rewatched around Halloween. It's obviously not great, but uh, I'll be damned if there isn't just a beautiful production design throughout that whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it has a surprising amount of really good practical special effects in there, too. So I'm just saying. Just saying. I, mean, it, I, I think it. It's I, I won't go too deep into this. I think it suffers from the same thing that Speed Racer suffers from, and it's they couldn't ba- properly balance kid and adult themes. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it, it skews just a little bit too childish. Yes, but there's some good stuff in there. The sprite gl- effect, as we call it. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, I'm glad that this one's a fun time, though. I do, I do want to go see this one. It looks good. I I don't know how how I would have lived with myself if both this and Space Jam were bad. I can oh, only yeah, handle one I, of them being bad. That's true. It would have destroyed you as a person. It would have. I would have lost a lot of faith in the in, in the entertainment industry, which is big for me to say. <laughs> I love that that's what make you lose faith in the entertainment industry and not just all the other things that happen all the time that make all the rest of us lose faith in the entertainment industry. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then my other plug, I don't know if you've read this before, but I, I highly recommend you checking it out. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I finally started uh, Song of Achilles. I don't even know what that is. Oh, it, it's a beautiful... I, I didn't know what it was before reading it. I just know like everyone talks about like everyone needs to read this book. It is the story of Achilles told through his lover, uh, Petroclus. Who? Uh in the Troy movie with Brad Pitt, yes. Patroclus is his Patroclus is his cousin because okay. in 2004, 7 whenever that movie came out, they didn't want to admit that Achilles was gay. Oh, okay. Uh but yeah, he takes a husband on Patroclus. Oh, I did not know that about their Achilles. beautiful story of them kind of growing up together. <gasps> I well, now I have to read it. It's super gay. It's super gay. Oh, I love it. Uh, but it's beautiful. It, it is a beautiful, beautiful story. Is, so is it, a, is it a book? Is it a comic? It's a... It's a book. It's a book book. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, yes. Highly recommend it. It is... How's it, the audiobook? Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> 
because of course <laughs> who, who narrates it uh i i don't know i hadn't heard this guy before oh then it doesn't matter yeah i mean it no. it sounds the the wording is so beautiful if it wasn't the audiobook would have been bad because it sounds like a history documentary the way it's being read oh interesting okay so the, is the prose maybe a little uh a little dense and academic. Yes. Mm-hmm. How long is it? Um, 32 chapters. The audiobook is, I don't know, I think I have like uh, five hours. I left. just realized that was the wrong question to ask. You wouldn't know how long it is. Cause yeah, you don't have the, the book itself. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll look into it. That does sound cool. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, it, it is beautiful. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, those are my two plugs. What have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, I watched on Netflix uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations, which is the new He-Man cartoon from Kevin Smith. My friend um, worked on that show. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a background artist. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's. I had a friend recommend it to me. It's amazing. Like, that's what I've heard. I'm. I'm not a He-Man person at all. Um, like, I've, I've, the friend who recommended it is like a, a huge He-Man fan. He like showed me a couple episodes of the like original series like from the 80s which is super hokey um you know we like watched the the 80s movie which i had seen at one point and i i fell asleep while we rewatched it but like i didn't really i i know enough i know the basics of the lore um but i've never considered myself like a really big fan of it or anything like that and it's so good so the first season is 10 episodes and this is the first five and this first five kind of like kind of tells a complete arc while you know leaving more to come down the line and like it's it's really frustrating because it's getting this really obnoxious like fan backlash. And when I say fans, I'm talking about the sort of like same toxic fans that hated the new star Wars movies, not because they're bad helmets of it, because it was like, you know, like a black lead and a female lead. It's like the, the toxic racist homophobic sexist fans that are like all up in arms about this show. And it's ridiculous because it's so good. It's so much fun. Like if you're a fan of animation, you should definitely check this out. It's absolutely gorgeous. It has a fucking bumping Bear McCreary score. And if you don't know who that is, he scored all of Battlestar Galactica, which is amazing. Um, you know, and it's only five, like, 30-minute episodes. Like, so I, I watched it all basically last night in one sitting, more or less, as, like, it's basically like a two-and-a-half-hour movie, in, in essence. Um, and, you know, like, fans of this show will appreciate it because it kind of has, like, a mini DC JLU reunion, and just in terms of the, the voice cast. So... Uh, you get in there in various roles, Susan Eisenberg, Kevin Conroy, Phil Amar, Dietrich Bader, Cree Summer, Dennis Haysbert, and then Mark Hamill as Skeletor. That's right. I did hear that one. That's amazing. I didn't realize everyone was he, back in it. He is so good. Like he's on, he's on Joker level, but he's turned it up even higher. Amazing. Like he's going full ham and it totally works with the character. It's so much fun. And like beyond all of like the DCAU people, you still get like Sarah Michelle Gellar, Lena Headey, Liam Cunningham, who's another um, Game of Thrones love. Like it's this ridiculously stacked voice cast. It's just an absolute blast. Great storytelling, great characters, great music, great animation. Like um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And like, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting it to, but I heard good things. Like I'm going to check it out and it's great. Don't listen to like the toxic fans. Uh, if you love stuff like the DCU, you're really going to like this. So I highly, highly recommend it. Super, super fun. Go check it out. 
Okay, amazing. I'm I'm all in. I'm gonna check it out right now. Yeah, go go right now, Cameron. Get off the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just have that uh, that one plug this week. So um, yeah, I think that uh, I think that does it for us. So uh, we will be back next week with uh, some more Justice League Unlimited. I have to go look up what the episodes are because I didn't actually write it down this time because I was too busy looking up Power Girls or just keep filling, just keep filling. Just, just gonna keep on talking here. Eventually, some uh, greatest story out. never told and the reunion. Thank you for beating me to it. So, okay, wait. So, all right. So, greatest story never told. Oh, booster that's gold, the booster gold baby. episode. That's the booster gold episode, which is super fun. And then, oh, which ones? Amazo. Um, oh, the return. Oh, the return. Right with Amazo. Yes. Oh my God. I. Every week I go back to look up what the next episodes are. And I'm every time I'm like, Oh my God, I remember these. These are so good. Oh, that's right. It's just like nonstop great episodes all the way through the rest of the season. So very, very excited by that. So I'll be back most likely next week. You never know. You never know. Shit happens. We're busy. people. Yeah. We're, yeah. Um, we're in Hollywood, yeah, that will man. be, all, yeah, we're in Hollywood. We're, we're busy. We're, we're busy making it happen. We're in the rooms where it happens. We're just not doing Going anything to celebrity parties. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not even close <laughs> not even close um but yes that'll be our next episode but as always uh you can find us at tim talk pod on facebook twitter instagram and gmail you can find me at uh, at lordifer um oh which actually reminds me uh i didn't make it a, a whole notes as friends section uh but cameron you'll appreciate this our uh, our, our friend colleague and former guest so james strecker wrote in to say that his overly syndicated TV episode was uh, along similar lines of kid stuff, but it was the Timmy Becomes an Adult episode of Fairly Odd Parents. The opening episode. That was the uh, pilot. Oh, was it the pilot? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that's why it was on all the time. Because he, he made a point. He said it. he swears on like every single day, and he can still see the pustules on his back when I close my eyes. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so if you want to uh, write to us, I would say Twitter and Instagram is probably the best place. Uh, but then where can they find you? Yeah, uh, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Boom, boom, boom. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. As always, we will be back soon and we'll just be doing some more Justice League. But until then, uh, bye-bye. Bye. Fuck. How does it go? I, 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 I got it. Okay, ready? All right. Beautiful. You did it. <laughs>